0: All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, So we're going to be in Jeremiah, uh, chapter uh, 50, 51 and 52. So as we wrap up, uh, Jeremiah, uh, it may uh, be of some satisfaction to know that you have just uh, completed A study of the second longest book of the bible second only to the psalms so if you think of the psalms as just being a big collection this is uh, the longest of of one big chunk Uh, so uh, congratulations for those of you that had uh, hung in there for for most of it Um, the theme of jeremiah has been uh, a judgment uh, to a variety of different groups Uh, there was Uh, judgment to the people of Judah. Uh, We recall that there was the full nation of Israel and then the the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, separate from Judah, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had already been uh, captured by the Assyrians. And then we know that the Babylonians came and conquered the Assyrians. And we have seen uh, the Babylonians kind of at the gate of Jerusalem and we know about the siege, and because we've seen that Jeremiah is not necessarily organized in chronological order, we, we've kind of known that Jerusalem is going to fall. We know about the exile. We've been back and forth through all that. We recently came through uh, the judgment against a variety of the nations that kind of surrounded uh, the, uh, the, the nation there of, of Judah. And now we're going to go into uh, chapter 50, where we hear... Uh, judgment against Babylon itself now Babylon has been interesting because it has been viewed as a tool in God's hand to bring judgment against uh, Judah and uh, the the area of, in and around Jerusalem but we're also going to find that uh, Babylon had its own problems and its own um, uh uh, sins and so forth against God and and now judgment is going to come upon Babylon as well. so uh, there's some long chapters here we're going to uh, skip around a good bit, but we'll start in chapter fifty uh, verse one and it says, the word that the Lord spoke concerning Babylon concerning the head of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet, declare among the nations and proclaim, set up a banner and proclaim conceal it not' and say, Babylon is taken, Bel is put to shame, Merodach is dismayed, her images are put to shame, her idols are dismayed, for out of the north a nation has come up against her, which shall make her a land of desolation, and none shall dwell in it, both man and beast shall flee. So here we have this big proclamation that uh, Babylon is going to fall. No doubt this would have been good news to many of the nations that had been Um, oppressed by Babylon who had been um, conquered by Babylon Uh, to hear that your conqueror is going to be conquered is pretty good news uh, that there's going to be some relief here uh, and uh, things are going to be different and this is uh, uh, kind of puts us back to to where uh, Jeremiah first started where you know this is a prophecy against the various nations and And again, here uh, we have um, the fall of Babylon being distributed among the various nations. And then in what might be the most um, kind of a classic redemption story in this whole section of three chapters uh, begins in verse 4. And it says, in those days, and at that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together. As I said, the nation had been split into the northern Israel and the southern Judah. And so now you're going to have all of these people who are going to be reconciled. Um, It says, in those days, and in that time, the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together, weeping as they come, and they shall seek the Lord their God. So here we have a picture of, you know, Jeremiah has been over and over saying, you know, repent against your idol worship, repent against your corruption, repent against looking at other nations to fix your problems between you and God. All of these messages that Jeremiah has been getting, apparently after you've been captured for a while and been in exile for a while, uh, now um, you're willing to turn your face toward God and Uh, come repentant because it, it says weeping as they come and they shall seek the Lord their God verse five says they shall ask the way to Zion with their faces turned toward it saying come let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten so this is interesting because so many times God has said I want to establish an everlasting covenant with you uh, all I'm asking is that you forsake these other gods and believe only in me and I'll be your people and or, or rather you'll be my people and I'll be your god and now here they come wanting the very thing that God has been wanting them to have for uh, hundreds and hundreds of years it's interesting you look at the the posture of their bodies it says they're they're asking the way back to zion and their faces are turning toward Uh, God and uh, turning toward it and they're wanting this relationship and then we have this ongoing uh, uh, language of of the sheep and the shepherd in verse 6 this is my people have been lost sheep their shepherds have led them astray turning them away on the mountains from mountains to hill they've gone they've forgotten their fold Um, in other words these sheep have been scattered they they have not been um uh Led by good shepherds, we know that much of Jeremiah was preaching against uh, the bad shepherds, the, the corrupt uh, priests that were trying to lead them, uh, just so much corruption. Um, so they're scattered. They've not been well taken care of um, and so forth. Uh, verse 8, flee from the midst of Babylon, go out of the land of the Chaldeans, be as male goats before the flock. For I am stirring up and bringing against Babylon a gathering of great nations from the north country, and they shall array themselves against her. So you remember that there was a time when Jerusalem was being besieged that there was the promise that if you left Jerusalem and left the city and joined with Babylon, that's how you were going to be saved. We talked about this remnant of people that God was going to basically take out of Judah and Jerusalem to Babylon for the purposes of preserving them. And now we have, now that they've been there, right? Um, now that they've been there, now they're being told to leave because Babylon is set for, uh, destruction. And we saw, let me skip back, see if I've got this reference, right? You don't have to turn here. Uh, So in Jeremiah chapter 25, uh, verse eight, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, because you've not obeyed my words, I will send for all the tribes of the north and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. I will bring them against its land and its inhabitants and all the surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction, make them a horror, a hissing and an everlasting devastation. I will banish them, blah, blah, blah. Verse 11, it says, the whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after the 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, making the land an everlasting waste, and I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in the book. Uh, So we know that they were in exile for 70 years, may not be exactly 70. That was a kind of a broad term. Um, And now Babylon itself is going to be uh, dealt with. If you skip on over, um, I'll skip all the way down to verse 33 of Jeremiah 50. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, The people of Israel are oppressed, the people of Judah with them. All who took them captive have held them fast. They refuse to let them go. In other words, Babylon's had all of them. Uh, They captured Judah and Jerusalem. And then they also, when they captured the Assyrians, now they had all the people of Israel as well. In verse 34, it says, Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He will surely plead their cause that he may give rest to the earth, but unrest to the inhabitants of Babylon. And then in verse 35, we had um, what one commentator called the sword song because it says a sword against the Chaldeans. Verse 36, a sword against the diviners, a sword against her warriors. Verse 37, a sword against her horses and her chariots, a sword against her treasures, uh, and so forth. So we have this sword song of all the things that God is going to come against uh, the Chaldeans. You can compare this uh, later in chapter 51, verse 20. Uh, Some people call this the hammer song or the battle axe song. It says, you are my hammer and weapon of war. With you I break nations in pieces. I'm going to break in pieces the horse and the rider, and break in pieces the man and woman, break in pieces the young man and the young woman, and break in pieces the farmer and his team, and so forth. So we have this language of all the power of God that is going to come up against um, uh, Babylon. And that's all of what 50 and 51 is describing. Um, Let's go back to the start of chapter 51. It says, Thus says the Lord, this is verse 1, Behold, I will stir up the spirit of a destroyer against Babylon. Verse 2, I will send to Babylon winnowers, and they shall winnow her. This is this is a harvest language. This is threshing language. And, um, we'll see some of that at the very end as well. Um, verse six of 51, flee from the midst of Babylon. Everyone save his life. In other words, um, things are going to get bad there. Now's the time to leave. Now is the time to leave. Um, we know that Babylon did fall at the hand of Cyrus the Great. Um, the the Medo Persian um, uh, Empire is is what came from the the east, and and here it says also the north, um, and and took over Babylon. This happened in five thirty nine B C, um, uh, and they can they can point this out. And interestingly, when it talks about Babylon being wiped out. Um, it's only been within the last hundred or so years that they even knew where all this was, that they even discovered and, you know, archaeologically uh, were able to, to find Babylon. Um, ancient writers have written about the seven wonders of the world and one of which was supposed, supposedly the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Um, no one has ever been able to even figure out if those things even existed now because they were just so wiped out. Uh, so the destruction was... Um, was just crazy. Um, there are just a couple things about Babylon while we're on it. Uh, it was and is seen in in uh, Scripture as just the epitome of a decadent lifestyle, um, just um, uh, a very advanced culture in some ways, but a, a very pagan culture in others, um, Things about medicine, things about astronomy, things about mathematics. Um, it's been shown that uh, the Babylonian culture knew uh, hundreds of years before uh, we figured it out, you know, in the, you know, in the 14, 1500s, um, uh, the Pythagorean theorem was figured out like a thousand years before Pythagoras. I mean, uh, they had it going on in some areas, just uh, a, a lot of what was going on, but it was also... Uh, a very pagan culture, a very uh, opulent culture. Um, even the city walls, that they, when they've excavated them, they found that they were covered with uh, precious stones and, and almost glazed like pottery. I mean, they just had that much extra wealth that they could even make their barricades look good, basically. Um, but, but they've also found the equivalent of... Um, pornographic clay tablets that were very common all over the place. Um, so it's just a lot of craziness. So in the Bible, Babylon has seen, um, I don't know, picture picture Las Vegas with a lot of military, but like a whole country. I mean, just um, uh, crazy. And, and there's good Christians in Las Vegas, don't get me wrong. But, you know, we think of the Vegas Strip as being uh, uh, crazy for... Um, from a lifestyle standpoint and and uh, so Babylon 's talked about kind of as the opposite of godliness in the Bible and then um, uh, in revelation, of course we hear a lot about Babylon uh, as a uh, as a picture of of evil and so forth so uh, all that 's going on uh, as we think about this judgment against uh, Babylon uh, Let's see, I know he's kind of skipping around a lot, but we kind of have to, to cover all this. Let's go down to chapter 51, verse 59. Uh, 59, toward the very end. I'll lead up to that in verse 55. It says, For the Lord is laying Babylon waste and stilling her mighty voice. Their waves roar like many waters, the noise of their voice is raised, for a destroyer has come upon her, upon Babylon. Her warriors are taken, their bows are broken in pieces. For the Lord is a God of recompense, he will repay. it says verse 58 thus says the lord of hosts the broad wall of babylon shall be leveled to the ground and her high gate shall be burned with fire the people labor for nothing and the nations weary themselves only for fire verse 59 it says the word that jeremiah the prophet commanded sariah the son of noriah son of messiah and he went to the with the king, uh, he when he went with Zedekiah, the king of Judah to Babylon in the fourth year. All these uh, names give us dates, we know. Verse 60, Jeremiah wrote in a book all the disaster that should come upon Babylon and all these words that are written concerning Babylon. And Jeremiah said, when you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words and say, O Lord, you have said concerning this place that you will cut it off. So that nothing shall dwell in it, neither man nor beast, it shall be desolate forever. When you finish reading this book, tie a stone to it, cast it in the midst of the Euphrates, and say, thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster that I'm bringing upon her, and they shall become exhausted. Thus far the words of Jeremiah, or as some uh, um, translations say, thus endeth the words of Jeremiah. So, Jeremiah says, read all the prophecies against Babylon. Once you've read it, wrap it up, put a stone on it, throw it in the middle of the river, and just as you see the last gurgle of this book come to the bottom of the Euphrates, that's what's going to happen to Babylon, and it will be heard of no more. Uh, just, um, just an amazing um, end to the words of Jeremiah. Um, Sure. Just, uh, I saw on the news recently, they talked about the Euphrates is actually being dried up. Hmm. It'd be funny if they find this stone. <laughs> it would be funny. Um, uh, I'm not sure, but I, did Pastor Bobby, did he say like he'd been diving in the Euphrates, I think, as part of his, uh, part of his military experience? Maybe he saw it, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> the fall of Babylon. Um, so much to say um, but as we think about all of the book of jeremiah we see that we see a god of justice we see that god has said this is what i'm going to do this is what i'm going to do this is what i'm going to do and now we know on this side of history this is what he did this is what he did this is what he did Um, so chapter 52 shifts a little bit so now we have a summary of what happened to Jerusalem. We've heard what happened to Babylon. Um, Now we've we've switched to the fall of Jerusalem. So there's a time warp, right? So Babylon took Jerusalem. Everything went back to Babylon. And remember, it's in those 70 years, that's where Daniel happened, right? King Nebuchadnezzar, all that happened. And then we find that you know, we have this judgment against Babylon and God telling everybody to, to leave. Um, we know that in the midst of all this, there was, um, uh, after the fact, after the Medes and Persians, uh, the, the, the Persians were like, you know, I'm, we don't want all these people. And then Nehemiah was involved with gathering people back up and rebuilding things. But we have this flashback when Jerusalem finally fell, as Babylon had laid siege to them for two or three years, and that's where we are in chapter 52. So 52 is a, is a look at when Babylon took Jerusalem, when they were still in power, when Babylon was still in power. So, so now we're back to the start of the 70 years again. Uh, Chapter 52, verse 1, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and so forth, Um, because of, verse 3, because of the anger of the Lord, things came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast him out from his presence. Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon, and in the ninth year of his reign, 10th month, and so forth, Nebuchadnezzar came with all of his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it. We've heard about some of this, right? This remember when Jeremiah was cast into the pit and there wasn't even any bread for him and so forth, right? Verse five, so the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. And on the ninth day of the fourth month, famine was so severe, there was no food for the people of the land. And a breach, verse seven, was made in the city. All the men of war fled out went out from the city by night by way of the gate between the two walls by the king's garden and so forth while the Chaldeans were around the city. Chaldeans and Babylonians, that's the same word. All the army was scattered. Verse nine, then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon, passed sentence on him. Verse 10, the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, slaughtered all the officials of Judah at Riblah. And he put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him in chains, and the king of Babylon took him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. Now, Zedekiah was not a great king, but he really you know, gets uh, his uh, comeuppance here at the hand of the king of Babylon. Verse 12. Uh, in the fifth month, tenth day, and so forth, Nebuzaradan captain of the bodyguard who served the king of Babylon into Jerusalem, and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burned down. So here we have a a description. Once there's a breach, all the army leaves. Now the commander of the guard comes in, and now he's he's just wiping things out. And it includes uh, the temple. Um, and it says, uh, verse 16, uh, they left some of the poorest of the land, uh, to, to till the land, to, to continue to farm it. Um, so that kind of makes sense. Verse 17, and the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord and the stands of the, and the bronze sea that were used in the house of the Lord, Chaldeans broken pieces, carried all the bronze to Babylon. I won't go through all of it, but the point is all the things that were of value they carted off unless it was just so heavy for them to get to take off all the valuable stuff they took out of the temple just desecrated it right and we remember there was back in Jeremiah where he said don't be saying that nothing bad's going to happen to you because we've got the temple Remember, he said, don't be saying temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, as if that's going to be some sort of force field that's going to keep the Babylonians from taking over Jerusalem. The the people there had become so proud of their temple, thinking that it was some magical amulet that was going to somehow protect them at all costs. Saying, nope, that is not going to protect you. And here we have that Jerusalem indeed uh, has fallen. Uh, And it goes through and and describes this. Uh, So let's skip down to verse 24. It says, And the captain of the guard took Sariah the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and three keepers of the threshold. And from the city he took an officer who had been in command of the men of war and several men of the king's council who had founded the city, secretary, the commander of the army who mustered the people of the land, 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the midst of the city, Verse 26, and he took them and brought them to the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon struck them down, put them to death. So Judah was taken into exile of the land. So all the prominent people, they rounded up and included not just the political leaders, but also the religious leaders. And he wiped them out. And that would be the end of Jerusalem um, for a season. But the book closes with an interesting little set of verses that we'll look at briefly in verse 31. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah. So this was a former king who had been captured. In the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, evil Merodach King of Babylon. Now, evil Merodach was the son of King Nebuchadnezzar. In the year that he became king, the evil Merodach, when he became king, graciously freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments, and every day of his life, he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily need until the day of his death, as long as he lived. So what's up with this? Here we have this king who'd been captured and exiled and has been in prison for a long time. King Nebuchadnezzar dies. And the right after he is... Uh, appointed king, his king's, the, the king's son um, releases this former king of Judah and elevates him to status and takes care of him and why is this there? Well, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 1 And, of course, we all know when somebody asks a question, the answer is always Jesus. If you know, Matthew chapter 1 is all about the genealogy of Jesus, or at least a, the big part of it is. And if you go to verse 10, um, we've, we've heard about all the precursors of Jesus. And in verse 10 it says, And Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos, Uh, the father of Josiah and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was a father of Shealtiel and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel and so forth. So here we have this king who was in the Davidic line and shows up to carry that Davidic line on to uh, King Jesus. So readers of this after the fact, right? So not only was Jeremiah written for, or the the people that he spoke to who received his prophecy directly from his mouth over the course of his roughly 40-year term, but it was written down. And it was, you know, able to, you know, was part of um, the, the Bible that the Jews had. And, and what would they have seen in this tag little paragraph, but was, you know, the Davidic line was still there. The promise that God made to David, still there. There's still some hope here. And so we know that, that this would have been a little, a little word that says, you know, There's a God of justice, but there's also a God of hope, and there's also the God who's starting new things, who hasn't forgotten his promises, who always leaves that door cracked for what he's gonna do um, that you haven't even thought about yet. And so this is the the cool little part here, uh, right at the very end, um, that judgment is not the end. Yes, there's judgment, but that's not the whole story. There's something better coming. And here you have just a little taste of it. You know, just a little paragraph, just a little paragraph that almost doesn't even seem to fit. But they knew, hey, here's something important. Here's something important. The the king of Babylon kept him alive. And not only that, honored him and kept him alive so that, that that promise could continue to carry forward. So just this, um, uh, a, crazy, a crazy book that we've gone through, but um, we've got elements of, justi- of justice, God's justice. We've got elements that, um, that God always has a plan, that he keeps his promises. We find out that nations are just tools in God's hand, right? Uh, they're just tools. Uh, there was a time Babylon was a tool in God's hand And then there was a time when Babylon got its punishment. And you can make whatever parallels you you want to as far as where we are uh, in America. Um, You know, I think that there, you know, is often said, you know, how blessed a nation we have been because God has seemingly used America and, and has blessed America. But chances are, America has been a tool for God, no doubt. Um, And when God needs to move on to whatever the next tool is, um, there will probably be some punishment coming for America. I I think it would be the height of arrogance to say that we are just so different from the dozens and dozens and dozens of other empires that have come across. Um, (laughs) Any gamers, I don't know, you play any games, like computer games. There's a, this is the 25th anniversary of Microsoft's Age of Empires game, uh, which I've been playing off and on for 25 years. <laughs> and the whole thing is you're like in charge of this civilization, and then you're going to go fight some other civilization. You can pick your favorite civilization. There are 20 or 30 different civilizations you could pick from. And at their height, they were all amazing—the Byzantines, the Aztecs, the you know whatever, the Persians. the The funny thing is, none of them are around now, right? So, you know, we just need to kind of know our place, I think. And um, and if you start paying attention, um, there are there are Christian people right now who say. That, um, you know, the time of the 50s and 60s was the height of when it was popular to be in church in America. That's as good as it was going to get. It was popular to be in church, it was good for your business everything was aligned where everybody would, it was a good thing. That day will never be again. More and more people of God's, you know, uh, of God's family are going to be on the outside of government, not on the inside of government. And I mean, Europe's already been like that, right? Australia, Australia, love Australian people they say about 16% of Australians are in church about 6% say that they're active in church right Um, so we've said it over and over again we need to be way more devoted to you know our book and probably way less devoted to our politicians because and God bless them, really, we need to pray for them, but um, but you can't you can't find a middle ground, right? you know um, uh, because neither party wants you if you're trying to carve some Christian middle out. No, nobody wants you. Um, there are people who say the word "evangelical," which we take to mean you believe in the good news of Christ, that there's a gospel there that we all need to hear. People say the term evangelical doesn't mean that anymore. Mm. That it, it means a Trump supporter. It means some political thing. And a lot of people would say, we've, we've lost that term. We can't use that term anymore because it means something different. It means something offensive to other people. You know, I mean, it, these are sobering days. But I think more and more, if we are uh, sticking to the Bible, it's going to help us navigate all this. Um, and I think it's going to put us on, on the right side of history because we've shown that if you, if you expect government to, to kind of fix things for you, you're, you're expecting wrong. <laughs> you just are. Uh, all right. We better stop. All right. Any comments? On Jeremiah and his book and his prophecies. There's a lot, right? was a lot. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you for the work of Jeremiah uh, that literally thousands of years later we can uh, hear who you are through uh, the words that you gave him and the words that um, got written down on his behalf. And we thank you that Uh, We get to see uh, you as God who is a redeemer and is um, the the most proper judge, uh, but also the one who continues to give life and continues to give hope and continues to keep promises. And we thank you that here at this very end, in this little blip of time that we've been so honored to be grafted in uh, to this grand story. And we thank you for Jesus through whom we get there. Amen. Thanks, everybody.